Hi, everyone, and welcome to Spread Thin, a senior care podcast for the sandwich generation. Welcome to our second episode. I first want to say thank you to everyone that listened to our last episode. We did the ins and outs of assisted living, and I just got so much positive feedback. I am so grateful to everyone that listened, passed it on. It really made me excited to continue to do these episodes and share the knowledge and share experiences that we have had. So thank you. I I wanted to make sure I said that before we started today. I contemplated, to be honest with you, about whether or not to do this episode so early on. Today we're going to talk about hospice, and the title is Hospice Shouldn't Be Scary, but it is, and it is a scary topic. And so I contemplated on whether or not we should do this one right now because it's really heavy. However, when I thought through it, I felt as though it's really needed because hospice people don't talk about it as much as I think we should because it is a really scary topic. However, hospice can provide such great care. There are so many resources wrapped up into hospice. And I think it's a lot of times a misunderstood service because it can be a little scary. So today in our show, we have Rachel, who has been in hospice since 2007. She has worked for large nationwide companies as well as smaller local companies. And she has really seen hospice evolve and change over the years and seen how it can help a number of different clients as well as families um, in different situations. In addition, Rachel actually also was involved with hospice on the other side of it when she had to bring in a hospice company for a family member. And so that really gave her a unique perspective of seeing it from the business side, but then also seeing it from the personal side. So I'm grateful to have Rachel here today and to share all of her knowledge with us. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for joining us today. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Of course. So I want to get right into it. You know a lot about hospice, and so I'm going to pick your brain. Great. For about an hour. I'm happy to share. <laughs> so I want to start with just like the very basics of what is hospice. So in the simplest terms, just tell us what hospice is. So hospice is a service. It's not a place. And it focuses on enhancing quality of life for patients when there might be a limited quantity left. Okay. That makes sense. I'm glad you mentioned it's not a place because I get that question all the time. I'm assuming so you do, do I. as well. So where can people receive hospice then if it's not a a place? People can receive hospice wherever they call home. That can be the private home, a nursing home, assisted living, a residential care facility, um, or a hospital in some cases. Okay, so even if, because I know this gets tricky from time to time and I think it confuses people. So if somebody is in a nursing home, and they're on Medicaid or, you know, mm-hmm. Medicare, I guess, depending on what they're there for, uh, they can still receive hospice services. It's not like a double payment thing, like where home care is, like skilled home care is. Sure. So hospice is fully funded by Medicare. 
And in order to okay. receive hospice in a nursing home, um, you use your Medicare benefit. And if you're there long term and have a payer for your room and board, mm -hmm. you can have uh, hospice services used through your Medicare okay. benefit. If for some reason you're there skilled and there were to be a change for your loved one, so mm -hmm. you're there getting therapy or advanced nursing care, yeah. um, when the, the insurance company decides that you're no longer meeting the criteria for that care, you can stay at the nursing home and pay privately for your room and board or apply for Medicaid and hospice can step in there as well. Okay. So while we're on this kind of payment track. Sure. <laughs> I, you know, that is this a, is the second question I get. How is somebody going to pay yeah, for this? Yeah, I bet. Yeah. So hospice is never private pay. No, it's not. It's always funded. Like it's, you're never going to have an out of pocket for hospice. There are very, uh, very limited circumstances where that will happen. If you have your, the Medicare benefit though, or any Medicare replacement plan, or any type of Medicaid or Medicaid or managed Medicaid plan, it will always be covered at 100%. Okay, so this is why I love hospice, and I always tell people, if you can qualify for hospice, right. utilize the benefit, because one, sounds like you can pretty much get it everywhere. Sure. Uh-huh. Two, is it fair to say it's free? I mean, it, it, basically, it is. Um, I guess it's a benefit that you've You've, you've paid worked. into your whole life. Yes. And it's part of the Medicare A benefit. In 1982, President Reagan said this needs to be a benefit available to all Medicare recipients. Oh, wow, look at you. Yeah, yeah. Well, you it's, do it's know a one lot of about the this. Newest, it's actually one of the newest benefits provided um, <laughs> in healthcare to our, our Medicare recipients. And it's really unique in that it's a holistic approach to care, too. It's only one that includes that entire psychosocial team as well. But getting back to the payment, everything is covered at 100% when you're on services and you have some form of Medicare or Medicaid. There are um, carve-outs with private insurances, too, where they have their own Medicare or hospice rider on the benefit, too. Got it. And okay. every hospice will always tell you up front if you happen to be one of those unique circumstances. It's generally our population who's under 65 or hasn't uh, isn't on Medicare disability or isn't oh, okay. on Medicaid. So really young um, patients, maybe they're faced with a terminal diagnosis of cancer, their insurance might have a little bit of a copay, but at that time you've probably reached your deductible or reaching that um, due to other treatments and your services will be covered. But every hospice has agreed, you know, to accept as many charity cases as they're financially able to, um, to take care of at that yeah. time because it's such an important service. And overall, hospice does save Medicare and insurance companies a lot of money because we're not sending people back and forth to the hospital. Right. So, okay, so you just touched no, on that. No, there's a lot. So, <clears throat> there's a lot to go over there. <laughs> oh, no. So I want to touch on that because um, when we had the – I've always known what hospice is, obviously, being in senior care. But I think it was when we had the adult care facilities that I really learned – how beneficial this benefit could be mm -hmm. and it was almost like we every resident should either be on skilled home care or hospice for right. that additional support right. and it wasn't until then that I realized everything that hospice could do yeah. it was pretty wild yeah so we, let me go over what hospice covers traditionally. Yeah, okay. Okay. Please. So once you, and then we can review how to get on hospice and everything. Yeah. So hospice Medicare benefit covers all of your nursing and home health aid visits, as well as chaplain and social work visits. Those are the core team. And when you say that, how many, what would be the expectation 
per week that wow. somebody comes out. You know, that's what's so great about hospice is that it's such a fluid service and it's all based on need. Okay. Medicare says you have to have a nurse visit every 14 days. Okay. Um, however, every hospice standard is at least one to two times a week. You know, that's how you're going to get to know your patient and to make sure you're providing the care they need. Okay. Uh, there are a lot of hospices out there and I always encourage people to get to know their hospice agency and ask about what general expectations are. But the answer you're probably going to hear is that it's fluid and based on need and when your loved one needs more we're going to be there more but if they're having a great week you know mm -hmm. we can back off and be there a little bit less so it's really fluid being in private duty i hear a lot about the shower aid portion right. of it right because they're like well you know mom or dad has somebody coming in to do showers but we need additional ones right but you're right i don't hear that as much on hospice so what would be the expectation for the shower aids for people a week. So like three? It, it, it just depends. It depends on what they want, but okay. we never take away, say your loved ones in a setting um, where they're already getting a shower, like for example, an assisted living yeah. and they already get a shower from their aid. We're not going to take away that shower. We're going to give an additional one. So we're there to really supplement the aid care Got that it. they're already getting, <clears throat> not take away from what you're already paying for your loved one to get or expecting them to get maybe in a nursing home as well. Okay. So we'll talk and collaborate with the current care team and say, what are your shower days? Great. It's Monday and Wednesday, we're going to come Thursday and do an additional one and then do another supplemental visit maybe on Tuesday, something like that. Nice. Okay. Um, so it's just very, very, very fluid. So you're going to see that care team several times throughout the week. I mean, if you're not seeing your care team, a member, at least two to three times a week, I would really, you know, collaborate with your hospice team and ask, you know, can is there any way for you to be yeah, here to get more. more? Yeah. 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 Um, and sometimes families are like, no way, Jose, you're not coming in. You can be here at the same time every week, once a week, and that's all we want. Yeah. You know, we, we respect, we take the lead of the patient and the family. And we see that more probably in the private home than in a facility, but yeah. um, we take the lead. And then as they change and have more needs, we can we increase from there. So the only way to okay. go is up to be there with more care. Got it, okay. Yeah. So then, you have a, you, your team consists of nurses, nurses, shower aides, mm -hmm. and then you mentioned a chaplain, a chaplain, okay. um, a social worker. What, what's the role of a social worker for hospice? So, oh, so much. <laughs> and going back to the aides, they do companionship visits too. It's not just showers. Oh, okay. So, you know, our aides might come in and do nails one day and then take your loved one outside, you know, or go right. for a walk or do some reminiscing or just that, or stay there to help feed them one day. Whatever that the need is in that care plan, that's what the home health aide is. And is it like. like an hour or is it a full day or like when your aide comes in? What's sure. the time frame? So there's not really a time frame. I would, you know, somebody who is needing hospice needs a lot more care mm -hmm. generally. So it takes a lot of time to get somebody into the shower, get them showered, get them cleaned up, get them dressed, change their sheets, you know, make sure they are looking and feeling their best for their day. Yeah. So, I, you know, it's going to be about an hour, if not more, um, of a time frame for that. And then um, they also do a lot of companionship when somebody has had a change in condition and they sit bedside with them too. So okay. um, it's just such a fluid situation. It's all case by case. Yeah, but then so sometimes really... your loved one could be having a horrible day and they said, there's no way you're getting me in the shower. And then they just sit with them for a half hour and do something else. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So... So, the so you have a social worker, social chaplain, worker. a nurse, an aide, anyone else? Yeah. So our whole team is led by a physician, okay. a hospice physician. And um, our, you know, a lot of programs are fortunate enough to have a music therapist, 
Um, there's always a bere bereavement is a huge aspect of hospice that I'm sure we'll be talking even more about a little bit later on. Um, but we follow for aftercare for our patients after that your loved ones passed, and we have some a representative from the company who does that. I love um, that component. I've it's when I talk to people, I'm like, it's also hospices for the client, but it's also for you. It is because you're gonna need something. I don't, I don't know what it is at the moment, but you're going to need support right. afterwards. Right. And hospice can provide that and give you resources and point you in the right direction, even if they can't, you know, give you the support. Totally. Totally. You mentioned the medical director, and I want to touch on that. Do If somebody goes on hospice services, do they have to, like, relinquish all control from their primary care and your medical director comes on board? Or... Do they work in conjunction? Yeah. What's that relationship? So the answer, you do not have to give up your primary care physician. Okay. Um, in fact, it, in order to come on to hospice, it takes two um, doctors to say that you meet the criteria for hospice, which we'll talk oh, a little bit about. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, and that that initial one's either your primary care physician or who you've been seeing. Sometimes it's a specialist. And our medical director would be the other physician who has to agree that you fit this criteria and this is an appropriate level of care for you at this time. Okay. So at that time, when we get that admission order and do that collaboration, we ask the, the doctor that you currently see, would you like to follow? Meaning you're going to be getting phone calls morning, noon, and night. Mm -hmm. um, most of them agree to follow because they want to know what the what's going on with their patient who they've been seeing for so long or treating for yeah. so long sometimes it's they like want 50 updates. years right right yeah. um and so most of them do agree to follow but they do want to relinquish control of maybe pain meds or overnight calls because that's not really what they are doing or what they specialize in and that's yeah. why you have us and that's why we have a physician um a medical director team physicians hospice physicians available to help guide the patient um through that journey mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember we had a, actually we had a mutual patient and um, where you were working at that time, your medical director was just phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I mean, oh, all medical directors sure. are phenomenal, but this one specifically, uh, she just was like really dialed in on her patients mm -hmm. and just knew, I mean, pretty much their every move yep. and was available 24-7. Like, yep. That was not an exaggeration. Yes. She was available. And I think that's so... Even if you don't use it, it's nice to know. Right. It's like a safety net. And every uh, 14 days, the interdisciplinary team, that, that nurse, that social worker, that aide, the chaplain, the physician, they sit down and talk about your loved one's case live so the doctor gets to hear about what's going on. Oh, wow. So they really do get to know the patients going through a very thorough report of what's going on, any changes. And if if that your primary care physician has agreed to follow, um, they get all the updates from that IDG as well. Wow. Yeah, that interdisciplinary. There's like a lot that also is behind the scenes. So, very much so. Very much so. Yeah. You talked, we, we kind of bounced around a little bit, but we sure. talked about payment. I want to, and what all is involved in the hospice yeah, service. There's much more. Yeah, because I learned something about it that I, going in, I didn't know, was that you guys provide depends. Uh-huh. And... And boost or insure? Well, okay, I mean, so let me. Let what me is all that? What else? So, in <laughs> addition to families all, typically are buying that privately. Yeah, yeah. In addition to all of those visits and care that we provide, uh, we pay for anything related to the hospice diagnosis and anything for comfort. So, expand the, on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought you might ask yeah. me too. <laughs> 
So, um, you know, incontinence is something that is bound to happen when you are in your end stage disease process for any disease process. So we pay for all incontinence supplies, Mm -hmm. um, you know, wipes, uh, chucks, depends, whatever might be that your loved one needs. We pay for any um, anything for skin integrity. If there's a wound, we handle okay. all of the wound care and all the wound care costs. Mm-hmm. Um, any barrier creams, anything our aides might need. Um, items for personal care. Um, we pay for all of the durable medical equipment needed. Okay. So when you sign up for hospice, we'll bring in a hospital bed, the appropriate level of uh, mattress, and then if you need something even higher level than that, we can switch that out as you need that. And I, I'm gonna give a little plug for hospice on this too, because it happens in like, I mean, 10 seconds. Yeah. I Like you make a call to a hospice company, and you're like, I need to get a hospital bed. And it's there within hours. Right. Like nobody gets to move rocks and mountains like you guys. Not rocks, mountains. Yeah. Mountains. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's it's such a relief to families to finally have that aspect taken care of. It is. You know, bedside tables, bedside commodes, shower chairs. I mean, whatever is gonna make sure that your loved one is comfortable where they call home, we're going to bring it in. That's incredible. Um, yeah, and we also pay for all medications related to the diagnosis. So if you, if your loved one has a breathing condition, we're going to pay for nebulizers or anything that they need to help them have more comfort surrounding that. And then anything related to comfort measures as well, as far as pain medications, oxygen, we're going to take care of all of that. So and that's all the Medicare hospice benefit your loved one's been paying into yeah. all these years. I mean, listening to you talk, I'm like, why wouldn't somebody utilize hospice? And I think that's kind of probably your magic question. Mm -hmm. Why, in your opinion, being in this, why wouldn't somebody utilize this? What's the biggest reason? Well, you know, hospice, like you said in the beginning, it has a stigma. Mm -hmm. It is scary. Um, You know, when hospice was first created, uh, referrals were made very late, which is fine. Um, But somebody was getting treatment and they, they thought it meant giving up hope. Because they're, when you say late, do you mean like days before somebody passes? Days before, yeah. Days okay. before somebody passes or they sign up for hospice and they're gone very quickly. And that's really traumatizing for someone because they hadn't been preparing for that death. Where hospice helps you prepare for what we know is inevitable and hopefully the wishes of your loved one are being honored by bringing in our type of care. And we help everybody prepare about the progression of the disease, what to expect next, mm-hmm. and help you prepare for those final moments. So it can really be a loving, beautiful experience rather than a traumatic experience that happens to you and your loved one. So how long could somebody be on hospice service? Like, I mean, could it be 10 years? Probably not 10. Okay. <laughs> could it be? Dial it in just a little bit. Like a year? Yeah. So Two the, years? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So the criteria for hospice is set by Medicare mm-hmm. um, uh, guidelines. Um, what Can you explain that criteria in a nutshell, or is it just like, you know, pages long? Well, it's pages long because there's different criteria for different disease states. However, okay. in a, in, to condense it, mm-hmm. it's six months or less your, that your loved one has a prognosis of six months or less if their disease takes the normal course. And that's okay. why we have people on service for a lot longer than just that six-month time frame. And it's also why we have people on service a lot less. So those two doctors, when they collaborate, they're saying, yes, without aggressive treatment or even with aggressive treatment, 
we feel like at this point in time, we wouldn't be surprised if your loved one wasn't here in six months. But then everybody's loved one is very different. Very and different and it takes could a be different two course. months or nine months, right, just depending. Right. Yeah. But it's really just a, a time for us mm -hmm. to look honestly as to where we think they're going with or without intervention and what is their gonna, life going to look like with intervention. Um, you know, it could be more traumatizing. It could be more hospitalizations. And is this the time where your family's made that decision just to say, no, let's just make sure they're at home and they're comfortable and we're not spending every you know a week a month in the in the hospital whenever I think of hospice I always and if I'm explaining it I always use the word comfortable mm -hmm. like you right. just want to keep them comfortable yeah absolutely I feel like that's a good way of explaining it you've used that a couple couple different ways so palliative care I'm gonna throw another one at you is that because hospice like that word was scary and so hospice <laughs> created palliative care or is that like actually a service? <laughs> it is a service. Okay. Um, hospice and palliative care get lumped together. And that's true because hospice is a type of palliative care, but not all palliative care is hospice. Tell me that again. Okay. <laughs> hospice is palliative, but okay. not all palliative is hospice. Okay. I'll give an example of uh, something that comes up a lot with palliative care. So your loved one is diagnosed with cancer and they begin treatment. There are a lot of side effects that can occur with the treatment for cancer and you get a consult for palliative care. They're going to make sure that while you're using aggressive treatments, mm -hmm. um, radiation, chemotherapy, infusion, that you're also getting pain medications to help keep make sure you're comfortable while you're getting those treatments. Okay. So and Medicare still pays for that. Well, uh, it's a different part of Medicare. Usually it's Medicare Part B. Uh, palliative care might have a copay, but you're already receiving all these other treatments. It kind of gets lumped into to So would you consider it like a stepping stone to hospice? Like it is can it, be. Is it easier to qualify for palliative than hospice? Yes, because the palliative care that you're receiving can happen concurrently with an aggressive treatment. However, okay. aggressive treatments don't occur once you're only on the hospice Care. Okay, that makes sense. Does that help? Yeah. But so palliative care looks you, different where, however you're getting it. You know, sometimes okay. it might be a nurse practitioner once a month checking in with you. It might be a nurse uh, or a doctor checking in with you while you're getting a treatment. It might be a homebound service where you have a hotline you can call. It's not as... Got it. There's different... It's like not as robust. Yes, every just everybody who provides palliative care, it can look a lot different than like Medicare is very regulated to look pretty a similar. Certain uniform for yeah. hospice. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, makes sense. Uh, all right, let's take a quick break. Okay. We've gone through a lot. I want to continue going through a lot. But we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Do you know someone that's needing more help? Options Home Services could be your answer. They are a one-on-one -on -one private duty home care. They can help seniors live as independent as possible by helping them from anywhere from one hour in a day to 24 hours in a day. All their caregivers and nurses are drug tested and background checked. Hard to believe, but not all home cares do that, so always ask when interviewing a home care. Their team can provide care during the day or night and help you feel at peace when mom or dad would otherwise be alone. They will help you with personal care, companionship, light housekeeping, anything that has to go with activities of daily living or personal care. Their team is trained to take care of Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and then general aging. They can help at home, in an assisted living, a rehab facility, or hospital. Call today for a free consultation to set up services. It's never too early to start that conversation and relationship. 
It is a private pay service, however, most long-term care insurance policies will cover. Call 614-947-8888 to get more information in their service area. All right, we are back. All right, we've covered a lot of information. I want to I want to go back to kind of the beginning though. And I want to ask you who makes the referral for hospice. So like if somebody is listening to this right now and says, "You know what? My mom, this sounds perfect for her." What do like what is what do you do from there? What's the next step? Sure. So in order to actually do an evaluation for hospice, we have to have an order from a physician. And that can come from your primary care physician, that can come from the doctor at the assisted living, the nurse practitioner at the nursing home, but we have to have an order to do an evaluation. So they say, the daughter who's listening right now says, mom, when's your next primary care, when's your next doctor's appointment? I wanna go with you, or I'm gonna schedule you an appointment. Go to your primary care and say, do you think that she would be appropriate for hospice? Can you write an order to do an eval? That is one way to do it. Okay. You can also call your a hospice company in your area and say, I'm interested in learning more about services. Can you help me? Oh, just and like call directly. Yeah, yeah. And from there, the hospice can ask you, they're going to ask you a lot of questions, but they're going to get all the information they need to be able to provide an informational to you. And they can help you through that process of getting in touch with your physician to get that order. Do you guys get those calls a lot? We do. We actually do. Like, I I think it's time for hospice, or I don't know what to do anymore. I'm ready to talk about this. Okay. Um, The majority of referrals do come from nursing homes and assisted livings. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, a a nurse there might initiate an order with the physician because they think they've seen a decline and they would like us to come in and evaluate. And really, when you're here getting that call, maybe from that facility level, from somebody there thinking it's it's time, it's because they've seen something that's not reversible or heading in a, a downward trajectory in anything decline. they've done. Yeah, a decline. Anything they've I, done. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go no, ahead. You're fine. Like therapy. Maybe you've tried therapy or a skilled nursing for the wound, and it's still not getting better. They're going to initiate that referral. Makes sense. Yeah. So why do I hear failure to thrive when it comes to hospice a lot? So that used to be a diagnosis that we could use. It is no longer one okay. that hospice can use, but that just is kind of a collective overall decline of, of function. So your loved one isn't eating anymore. They've lost a significant weight because of that. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're following, falling a lot. Yeah. You know, that that's a diagnosis that's out there. Um, in general, but not one we can use for hospice, but it kind of, if you put a piece it all together, there's a reason that's happening and whatever that right. reason is, they can come on to hospice. So like you're kind of going to take that and go back to the root cause yeah. of like what's causing that. Right. So once we get that order or get that referral, we have that informational, everybody wants to move forward. Our nurse will come in and do an evaluation. Um, and request records and ask you about your loved one. They're going to ask you what's different now than was different three months ago, six months ago. Mm-hmm. What have you noticed? What what have they said that they want for their care in the future? You know, do you want to keep going in and out of the hospital? Mm-hmm. Would you want to put in a feeding tube? Would you want to see your loved one on a ventilator? These questions are going to put together whether or not they meet the criteria for hospice care. Okay. So then let's say they do meet the criteria for mm-hmm. hospice care. What does a family need to do from there? 
Well, uh, usually it can all happen all in one. We do that informational, the evaluation, and can do an admission all in one meeting. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, it's very thorough. They answer a lot of questions, and the nursing team and social work team can really put somebody at ease about the care that they're electing. They call the doctor right on the spot and collaborate, mm -hmm. as long as we already have that other order from your primary care. And they sign a mission paperwork, and then from there they begin building a care plan surrounded by your loved one, their needs and mm -hmm. wants at that time, and also how can we support the family. Okay. So on the flip side, what if your nurse comes out there, does an eval, and says, I don't think that you will qualify, mm -hmm. or you're not going to qualify, because they're making the determination, right? They're making the determination in collaboration with the hospice doctor. They can't okay. say no until they call the hospice doctor. Okay, so the hospice doctor yeah. says... Yeah, it doesn't seem like you're right. you're ready. Then what does a family do? Well, in a perfect world, the hospice physician would then call the primary care and ask them why they okayed the order. And maybe there's something we're not seeing. Maybe we have okay. to get medical records, um, you know, something like that. And hopefully we can gather enough information to bring them on service. But from there, we might make a referral to private duty, home health, whatever care they're going to need to help meet them where they are at that time, mm -hmm. give them suggestions. And then we'll keep following up and asking how they're doing. And, and when it is time, we will bring them on service. Got it. Okay. So just to recap, who's in charge of hospice? Is it the medical director ultimately? I feel like all roads are leading back to this medical director. Right. Is that the end all be all? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, basically, so the me okay. medical director, you know, it's their... They, they have taken the lead of the, the program. You know, mm -hmm. some some companies are just set up differently. They have a regional medical director who's the, the, the end-all, be-all. But at the end of the day, every single hospice has the same set of guidelines that they are governed by, by set forth by Medicare. So, so people CMS, are interviewing hospice companies, because mm -hmm. I guess every state is different, correct? This Well, every CMS governs every... Every hospice the same, that's at a federal level. However, each state is licensed so many hospices differently. Because I know like Florida, for instance, right? they are on a, a certificate of a need. Certificate of need. Okay. Yeah. Whereas like here in Ohio, we have multiple right. to choose from. So most people don't realize that in central Ohio, there's 25 plus hospice agencies. Everybody thinks hospice is just one company. Right. Um, so you have a lot of different hospices that you can choose from. And you can, like you said, interview or talk to a couple different agencies to decide who you feel like is going to meet your needs the best. Knowing yeah. that we all have the same guidelines. But just, I mean, that's just like you know, grocery stores, there's several different grocery stores. You might like going to one over the other and there's a reason why, you know, talk to them and see Yeah, so you gonna... should ask like your medical director, what's their philosophy? Or what? what's their role, what's their involvement? Okay. Um, you know, ask about visit frequency. Um, something we haven't covered yet is that hospice is available 24 seven. It's a round the clock service. Yeah. I've learned that. And <laughs> I've been very thankful for that yeah. with some of our clients. So ask, yeah. you know, when I call after hours, are you going to come out? Are you going to come see my loved one? Are you going to help me over the phone? You know, what's going to mm -hmm. be the follow-up? Because our whole goal is to be able to maintain the care at home. And, it, you know, it's not a nine-to-five job. It's right. after hours. It's weekends. And um, any hospice should be able to respond to those needs um, after hours. So I want to switch gears a little bit because I do want to touch on, you had a very personal experience with your stepdad 
in hospice. You had always been on the business side. Right. And he was in, is it, he was in Kentucky. He was in Kentucky. And it was, you only, you were, it was a certificate of need, if I remember. So what was your process? Because I'm assuming you kind of spearheaded that for your family. What was that like? I want to hear your experience sure. from the like consumer family side and what your first step was. Sure. So um, my stepdad passed away um, six years ago, and it was cancer. And he had been seeking aggressive treatment, and due to him seeking aggressive treatment, he did not qualify or wasn't ready to elect hospice. But it came to a point very clearly where we knew the treatment was doing more damage to his quality of life than it was going to just to extend it. So he made the decision to utilize hospice and I, of course, being the <laughs> the savvy yeah. hospice person I am, I go to look up every hospice in the area and I was shocked to see, I think there were three. Yeah, I remember you said, I yeah. remember being on the phone, you're like, this is really strange. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, this can't be possible. So I start looking into what I knew my family would need as far as my mom being the one there with him. And we made the decision to go with a certain hospice agency. And it was a really seamless experience. What made you decide on that hospice one? What was like the set them apart from the others? So um, the the company was affiliated with a system they had already been using, and they had a very unique inpatient experience that my stepdad ended up utilizing uh, because I knew my mom might need that resource down the road. Mm-hmm. And also... They were very responsive on the phone. I just felt like I really connected with them. And I think everybody's had that kind of, it's like that customer service experience on the phone. Yeah, I feel like, you know, they do say you have, you know, what, seven to 30 seconds of a first impression. And I remember you saying, like, I called this hospice and, like, I just didn't, I didn't enjoy my conversation. Yeah, there was, you know, going to be a delay. The other agency, which, and that might be because there were only a few to choose from, I was going to have quite a delay in, in the admission process. And I knew once he decided it was time, we had to get it done that, mm-hmm. that time. And it, it was very clear. You know, I had been in hospice at that point for almost a decade. And my stepdad was only in hospice for five or six days. Really? I did not yeah. realize it was that short. It's very slim. He was he was doing aggressive treatment. And it was once that hospice finally got in there and helped get him comfortable, he had just such a beautiful death. But being on the other side of it, he... We identified that he was actively passing away, which means that there's very limited time for your loved one left. Mm -hmm. Um, Family was gathering bedside, and it was such a beautiful experience. His last moments, he was so comfortable. We were able to all be there. Mm -hmm. And the whole time, my mom was so scared. It was so hard to watch my mom be so scared because I've seen death happen in this beautiful way. Right. I actually didn't know it any other way, but most people have never been with somebody when they died. Mm-hmm. Or if they have, it might have been a traumatic experience because they've right. been in a car accident or they're in the hospital and there's tons of wires or they make a decision to pull something that's life-sustaining and right. they might not have had to get to that point. So watching my mom and all of us have that beautiful experience with his death and her no longer being scared mm-hmm. made him his passing so much easier for everybody. And it was, I never realized personally what a relief that is for everybody. And that was so helpful. And then on the flip side, hospice provides bereavement care. 
and mm-hmm. it is so intense. So us even it's having so that short experience, they were there for so long for my mom and reached out to other family members, you know, one-on-one therapy, support groups, oh, phone wow. calls, coming out to check on her and provide that bereavement care. She had been a caregiver for intense cancer for so long mm-hmm. that, you know, there was a lot to work through and they really played such a huge role in that. How long after do you think that they con- they continued to be in contact with your mom? So they she probably utilized services for eight to nine months, but per Medicare, they have to follow for 13 okay. or attempt to follow for 13. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So Which did they that... probably did. She just didn't need the service any longer. Yeah. So you obviously, you believe in hospice because right. you've been <laughs> in it for so long. You would have left hospice if you didn't believe in the service. But did it change your view on hospice being on the other side of it? And if so, how? Absolutely. I mean, it made me even more passionate about people. You know, I would hear in the community, well, there's not much time left. They're they're not going to need us. You know, or what can they really do in a short amount of time? Mm -hmm. And I was like, whoa, pump the brakes. We can do so much. You know, like it might be harder to achieve physical comfort in a very short amount of time for somebody but that aftercare mm-hmm. that like that those moments after that support you know if somebody's only going to be on for a short amount of time the the amount of work that had to be done we, my mom didn't have a funeral home I was just gonna say there's like so many details that end up you don't think about like right when somebody passes like the 10 minutes after like what do you do yeah. But if you have hospice, you just call hospice. Right. And they take care of, I mean, literally everything. Right. I don't want to, you know, get too heavy, but like they, they take care of the body. Right. Postmortem care. Which is like so important. Absolutely. And, and identifying who the funeral home is, you know, all of those decisions have to be made very quickly and they're going to support you up front, making sure that's ready. So all you have to focus on is your loved one in those final moments. Yeah. It's really powerful. It really I mean, is. I, I've heard your story before, but hearing it again, it just it just puts it in perspective how important hospice is and what a great service it is. Mm-hmm. I'm a big believer in hospice. I know I've said that multiple times, <laughs> but I just I feel like, like I said, if you qualify for it, right. and it sounds like even if you don't, just make a contact with your local hospice company because right. it sounds like you guys are supportive and just a great resource. Right. Well, and I like, I think, you know, in the beginning of the hospice movement, it was the, the last, the, the last thing you do is you go on hospice. But I want everybody to think of that is that this is a level of care we're all going to need at some point, Mm -hmm. you know, talk to your loved ones early and often about what their wishes are. And then I encourage you to get in touch with the company or at least have an informational from someone, listen to a podcast, look it up on the internet to have that information so it doesn't become uh, uh, fa- turn into family discourse or something where not everybody's on the, that same page yeah. and it's time to elect hospice. I hear so that a lot option. where it's like there's multiple siblings mm-hmm. and it's like three of them are like, yes, let's bring in hospice. And two of them or one of them's like, no, absolutely not. Right. You know, you get the whole like hospice is going to kill, you know, that, right. That whole situation, which, you know, I, I obviously I understand both 
both sides of it. It's, sure. it's hospice is scary. Yeah, it is. But it doesn't have to be. It doesn't. Because what we're trying to do is honor their wishes at that time. Right. So if you know your loved one has said to you, I don't want to have A, a B, and C done, mm-hmm. the way to not have that done is to elect hospice care. Yeah. When you're rushing somebody to the hospital, you're going to get forced to put them in a situation that they may not have wanted to been in. Yeah, definitely. All right. We're going to take another quick break, and then we're going to come back with some questions. Senior Transition Expert specializes in helping families and clients find a good community. Looking for a community can be really cumbersome and overwhelming. They will help you from start to finish. They will help you find a good community, set up tours, and then really hold your hand throughout the entire process. They can help with assisted livings, independent livings, memory care, and even help you find a private duty home care. In addition, Senior Transition Experts offers a care management component to help you navigate the senior care industry. This would include helping with organizing doctor's appointments, finding transportation to and from, possibly helping you when you discharge from the hospital, finding good providers, medication setup, and really everything else under that umbrella. Call today to get more information, 614-947-3611. Okay, so we are going to take some questions. So our first question is from Ryan. He says, how do I know when my parents are ready for hospice? So, Simple but robust question. Right. <laughs> Where to begin? Yeah. <laughs> you know, have you talked with your family yet about what their wishes are? We kind of talked about this in the earlier segment. But do they have a living will? Have they said how, what kind of treatments they would want done at the end? Um, but other ways to know is, say your loved one has maxed out on all of their medications. Mm -hmm. The treatments are doing, they're having more bad days than good days because of whatever treatment they're doing. Well, that's a good way to put it. And then really take a really hard look. Is that what you want for your loved one? Is that what they, if they can't speak for themselves, is that what they would want for their life? Mm -hmm. Because at that time you're just looking at possible quantity versus quality of days left. And so if somebody's listening to this and they're determining, take the last 60 days and say, Are there more good days or bad days? Correct. I love that. I feel like that's a really easy way of looking at it. You know, it keeps it very factual Mm -hmm. and you'll know. And it'll give you a good look at what the next, you know, six months might bring or the next three months might bring or the next 60 days might bring. Let's say somebody does elect hospice. I'm getting off a little bit on a tangent, but, and says, okay, I want to sign up for hospice. But then they say, I don't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. What happened? Can you, you can, you can be discharged you from can. hospice? Yeah. Okay. You can. It's so up to you. don't have to stay on hospice. No, you don't. And I've heard some people graduate from they hospice. They do. They do. You know, we've talked, we talked a little earlier about how there's different criteria that Medicare sets forth. Mm-hmm. And the, the definition is if your disease takes the normal course, well, if you were losing weight consistently and now you're gaining weight and you can walk and you're having way, way, way more good days than bad mm-hmm. days, you know, that's not somebody who needs our service anymore. And maybe right. there's something else out there for them and they would graduate. Is that, is weight a good indicator as well? Like, let's say that somebody, you know, was, saw mom 30 days ago, mm-hmm. lives out of town, came back in town to visit her and was like, oh wow, you've yeah. lost like 10 pounds. Right. Is that another good indicator of like, okay, maybe we look at hospice? Yeah, weight is a great indicator. You know, if they're living with assistance and losing weight, that's 
definitely a key indicator. Sometimes okay. if they're alone, maybe you try, you know, Meals on Meals. Meal. Yeah. You know, it could be a lack of resource. Yeah, it just doesn't feel issue. like making dinner right. anymore. Yeah. Um, but if you're losing weight despite interventions, um, it's definitely a huge indicator. Most people don't realize it, but the body goes into a natural starvation and dehydration mode in order to have a more peaceful passing. Hmm. So weight loss is super common, less intake is super common when somebody is in that final stages. Got it. Okay. So I'm hearing the 60 days or take a time frame. Yeah. Do the good, good days, days, bad days. Right. Keep an eye on weight. Any other indicators that a family member could weight, just like keep an eye on? Function. You know, are they able to get around? Um, you know, how's their walking? Are they steady? Are they unsteady? Um, are they having falls? Have there been frequent infections? Are you constantly taking mom to the hospital for an upper respiratory or maybe even a UTI? Um, you know, those infections that just cannot, mm-hmm. they cannot clear themselves. What yeah. about if somebody is going in and out of the hospital and it's, and maybe it's not an infection. It's just like, I don't know, right. mom goes to the hospital. Yeah. It's like, I got a call a while ago that was, you know, mom had been in and out of the hospital for, it was like. 10 times in three weeks and we're like oh my gosh for what and it was like all different things Mm -hmm. that's a huge indicator somebody going in and out and is that what they want if that's what they want it's a different story but is that giving you good quality life is that giving you those good days or bad days yeah and is there anything the hospital is really able to do you know hospice focuses on treating the person and the symptoms not curing the disease so if we can keep them at home and get those antibiotics in them you know provide different medications at home and seek comfort at home mm-hmm. would you rather have that or would you rather go sit in the ER for 10 hours before you even treated right all right another question this one's from martha i'm scared to use hospice a friend had hospice for her parents they died immediately mm-hmm. this is probably a story you hear we a hear, lot. hear that a lot yeah. and i'd be lying if i say somebody doesn't sign up and they die that night or the next day yeah it does happen Um, However, it happens less and less when we can come in there and be of a support earlier on rather than at that very end. And hospice is a lot more in conversation now, especially in a nursing home assisted living setting uh, and getting those earlier referrals. So again, we can help prepare you for what's to come rather than come in right at the very end. But nothing hospice does will hasten life. Nothing we will do will shorten their life. Mm-hmm. We are just meeting them where they are in their trajectory. So just know that if you sign up for hospice, your loved one was going to pass in that short time frame. either way. Right. You weren't speeding it up. Right. I do have a question in kind of relating to that about the a DNR, mm-hmm. which is a do not resuscitate. When you come on hospice services, do you have to do anything with that? You, in the state of Ohio, you do not have to be a do not resuscitate to come on hospice. You can still be a full code. But that's a state regulation, so that could be different every state. It could. It could. Okay. And um, that's something we help provide education. That's our social worker. That's our nurse. You know, what is that code going to look like for your loved one? It's not always getting them to the hospital. Sometimes it's you know, breaking ribs in their bed with compressions. So it's It's a lot. So we provide those, that education to the family to help them understand what their different options are as far as a do not resuscitate So that could be like part of the eval. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And then one more question. This one's from Ashley. Who determines if my grandma's ready? That's a good question. So it's those two doctors collaborating 
um, giving the official, we believe that they meet this prognosis and also the wishes and wants of the family is taken into you know, consideration. If we meet yeah. with a family who says they might physically be ready, but if they said we're going to send them to the hospital every single time something happens, you're yeah. not ready for hospice and that's okay. Yeah. But if somebody said this is where we are in the disease process and we don't want any more intervention, we're not doing treatment any longer, mm-hmm. even if there's treatments available, that's a hospice patient. Yeah. I feel like sometimes guilt kind of comes into that. Like yeah. you mentioned about going back and forth to the hospital. And sometimes I think people just need like one more hospital visit. Right. Just to make sure. And then they're like, mm-hmm. okay, this isn't, this is no way to keep going. To yeah. Yeah. And that's okay too. You know, sometimes yeah. you have to have that big significant change in order to see what is best for your loved one at that time. But that's why yeah. while if you're listening and you, you still are able to have these quality conversations with your mom and dad, I would really encourage you to have them because they want to have them with you too. They just don't know how. Yeah. That's a good point. So just to recap real quick, I want to hit on the, the hot buttons and you tell me if I'm wrong. Hospice is free. <laughs> Yes. Okay. Usually. Very, <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> very, very few times. Yes. Not. You can receive hospice anywhere. Correct. And hospice is for everyone. Yeah. Hospice is a service designed for anybody facing that advanced stage illness or terminal diagnosis. And it's a level of care that you can elect to have. And last but not least, hospice shouldn't be scary. And it's never too soon to talk about hospice. The hospice company will tell you if it's too soon and you don't qualify, right. but we'll keep you on their radar. Right. We send, um, you know, actually Medicare has us send out these satisfaction surveys so they can measure how the hospice companies are doing. And it's a crazy number. It's like 99.5% or higher that always say they wish they would have called sooner. I bet. I believe that. Yeah. All right, well, on that statistic, I hope this podcast has, um, if it helps one person, it was totally worth it. If hospice is no longer scary to you, um, totally worth it as well. So anyway, Rachel, thank you for being here. You had actually more knowledge than I thought you would. <laughs> you know everything about hospice. Well, thank you you brought out me. the 1982 statistic and blew my mind. <laughs> um, but I really appreciate it. I know how passionate you are about hospice um, and how important it is to you. So I really appreciate you taking time and being here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Um, I'm going to leave you today with, um, once again, You are not alone and you are doing a good job. I hope you have a great day.